talked to Jeff Fu. His his assertion is, look, this is the system that we're built on, and people are rewarded within this system, and they're going to act the way they're rewarded. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's so that alone is just the driving force. It's not the people. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's not. Correct. It's the people Profit. are rewarded for for the way they're acting. And Bitcoin does not reward you for acting like that. There's just no system within it to gain. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Arcos Global Advisors or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating Bitcoin's Noise, I'm joined by James Lavish, a reformed hedge fund manager turned Bitcoin educator through the Looking Glass Education. In our discussion, we talk about big institutions and their appetite for Bitcoin, why and how hedge funds are using Bitcoin to hedge high beta stocks, and the unfortunate downside of the existing system incentivizing profit over people. James also shares his knowledge of repo markets, bond yields, and what they really tell you, along with his views on the possibilities of a recession. Additionally, we cover why Bitcoin offers citizens and small countries an opportunity to opt out of historically bad financial situations. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining. Today I have with me James Lavish, former hedge fund manager. Also, he's working with a team uh, building out the Looking Glass, which is Bitcoin education. So, James, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of get into what's important about Bitcoin and the stuff you're working on these days. Yeah, sure. First, thanks for having me, Kane. I appreciate it. Uh, and um, and it's always great to get get on somebody's platform and help spread the word. So I appreciate it. So yeah, like you said, I've, I come from the hedge fund world. I've been an institutional investor for over 25 years. Uh, I started out on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, believe it or not, when they actually traded down there and it wasn't just a bunch of systems uh and i was doing something called adr arbitrage down there which is where you buy and sell foreign shares on the new york stock exchange and you you translate them and you can arbitrage between where it's trading in the foreign stock exchange and then where it's trading in the new york exchange with and it has to do with the currency and the basket you put it in and a stamp tax and so we did it with calculators. We didn't even have Excel spreadsheets back then. So, um, and then uh, and then I quickly got into hedge funds because of that, because I knew how to do the two-sided trades. So I started doing risk arbitrage and merger arbitrage and that, and that kind of thing. And I most recently was the chief operating officer for an alternative group within a larger office. Um, and that was a, the hedge fund private equity group there. So, and here I am. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. I'm definitely glad to have you on. Um, a veteran of the markets kind of understanding one of the big things there, the two-sided pairs. And so especially seeing what's going on in, in the Bitcoin markets. A couple of questions that are in my mind is one, you know, what's the institutional take on Bitcoin? Uh, where, where do they stand? Where do you see players moving to? I know for a long time, it's kind of been no, not a thing. And then the other is, are we seeing some of that two-sided trading and use of other tools in the financial market to kind of wrap their head around Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and from what I've seen, Kane, is uh, the the institutions have been pretty slow 
to to come into the space and to understand it. Uh, the ones who are in it are kind of using it as a risk asset. You and I have talked about this before, where you know hedge funds in particular, it's easy for hedge funds to get into into um, the the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin space, and they'll start buying things like Ethereum or make maybe take flyers on some some uh, altcoins, whatever. But um, they're they use Bitcoin in particular and Ethereum, but mostly Bitcoin from what I know and can tell as a quasi hedge against their risk assets in their portfolio. And what I mean by that is that they have these, these portfolios of, of say high beta stocks, um, meaning they have, they have real high sensitivity to the market, technology, healthcare, biotech, that kind of stuff. And so when markets sell off, rather than selling those assets that they own, that they feel may be good assets, they try to hedge out the beta exposure, which is just the overall market exposure. And, and they, they're using, rather than just selling the QQQs or the, or the spiders or something like that, an ETF, they'll use Bitcoin as, um, as a kind of a sloppy hedge and they'll short it um, and they'll short it using all kinds of instruments, whether it's the futures or, or it's the or uh, the futures ETF or whatever it may be. They'll short it in, in trying to capture extra alpha, and because one thing we've seen over the past, especially in the past number of months, is that Bitcoin in particular leads risk assets, mm-hmm. and so it leads risk assets higher and it leads risk assets lower, and so. They're trying. They're getting ahead of everything by shorting Bitcoin. Now, the flip side of that is when this thing recovers, then they get hurt on the way up. So I actually posted something earlier today or last night about the, the fact that it, when when Bitcoin does reverse, it will reverse hard, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons is that the, the the institutions who are playing in it are using this as a, as a kind of quasi hedge. And remember, they're also doing this with, with quant models. So you may not even have a person who understands Bitcoin in the fund, but just using the ticker and their quant models, it picks up on it. And, and it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. So that's one spot that we are in, in, in the institutional world. Where we're going and what, what I see is I've been talking to a number of institutions and these are the these are the old world real institutions, not hedge funds, not that hedge funds aren't real, but these are the these are the long biased investors, the pension funds, the endowments, the super, super large uh assets. And take managers. a position and not move. Correct. But those asset managers have very strict mandates on what they can buy and hold in their portfolios. Whereas the hedge funds, they can buy or sell whatever they want, short it. I mean, I've heard of hedge funds who uh, who started a fund and the whole purpose of the fund was to go to Vegas and to uh, play, you know, Texas Hold'em poker tournaments. And, you know, I mean, like you could pretty much do anything you want in a hedge fund. I mean, that's super extreme, but you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the hedge fund, that's the beauty of it is that you come up with some anomaly that you've sort of figured out and, and it works. And as long right. as, you know, not too many market participants abuse that anomaly, 
until right. enough market participants start to see that in the print and they start to catch on. And they catch up. So, but in the Bitcoin space with the institutions that are uh, the pension funds and, and the endowments, because they have such a strict mandate on what they can buy, if they want to buy Bitcoin, it takes a long time. I've talked to a number of people about this, but it takes a very long time to actually get that asset in your portfolio. Even if you have a portfolio manager who really understands, he's done the work, he, he gets why it's hard money, he understands why it's a separate asset class, he understands it's immutable, that it's got, um, it, it has no counterparty risk, he understands that it's, um, it's decentralized, it's finite, it, it can't be inflated away. But the problem is, even though he understands it, he still has to answer to a chief investment officer. Mm. And even when he gets that chief investment officer buy-in, they have to then get the investment committee buy-in. So there's, there's a series of meetings that have to happen over the course of weeks or months just there. And then once they get all of the investment advisory committee or the, the voting committee on board with creating a separate asset class that they can actually add to their portfolios, then they've got to get buy-in from the general counsel and from the compliance committee. So then That's you've got the another two big steps. And then once you do get buy-in from all of them, you've got to figure uh, on, on just the asset class alone, but you're in the midst of all that, you're trying to figure out, well, who's going to trade it? What, what's, the, what's the risk of the trading? Who's going to settle it? Who's going to hold it for us? Custody it? Because in the, in the normal world, you have a major prime broker who custodies your assets for you. You know, you're not holding them in your, in your safe at a place like uh, CalPERS or Texas right. teachers. They don't hold their own stock certificates. They don't yeah, They're not going to get a treasure and throw it on there and exactly. just say, Hey, Johnny, exactly. take this home. And so who's going to do it? Is it going to be multi-sig? Like, how's it going to work? And how are they going to ensure that they are taking on appropriate risk for their investors and they're they're meeting their fiduciary duties, right? So then once you have all that figured out, well, then you have to figure out, well, where do you even market? You know, do you market off of like the 4 p.m. close of the New York Stock Exchange or do you market at midnight in London? Because it never closes. So what mm -hmm. where do you even close it? And so all those things have to be worked out. It takes a very long time. And even though I'm hearing of pension funds and institutional investors that are looking to add this to their endowments or to their portfolios, it's still, they're in the midst of all of what I just talked about. And so it's taking a long time to figure those things out. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And I know it's been frustrating for some Bitcoiners or some people who are, and even it's, it's frustrating for the maxis to even hear about institutions coming in. Right. I get it. But the reality is they have hundreds of trillions of dollars at their disposal. You know, mm -hmm. the five top, uh, the five top institutions, just, just the top five control $30 trillion of assets. You're talking about BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, State Street, and Morgan Stanley, $30 trillion, just those five managers. So you need them on board. And once those guys get on board, a lot more investors will just follow them. And that's one thing. And that just feeds into a lot of the talk that we're hearing today, which is when are we going to get a spot ETF? Because like we talked about just a few minutes ago, that futures ETF is problematic is that 
it's helping yeah. hold the price of Bitcoin down because it just it gives an easy outlet for hedge funds and other you know players to just short against their position and, and kind of hold it down. So, and that's something I want to step back on the the term you use there, sloppy hedge, because in my head for the longest time I've heard a number of people with with more of of your background talk about well, hedge funds are just shorting Bitcoin, institutions are shorting Bitcoin. I'm like, why on earth would you short Bitcoin? as a as a nasdaq hedge because there are tons of other ways to short with with options and futures and, and more direct so one of the other questions we'll talk about is uh understanding of dealing direct with collateral versus derivative and so i'm sure. sitting here thinking sure. if you've got this let's just focus on the nasdaq this nasdaq position and i do know because i've seen it myself and i've tracked it for since 2018 that uh bitcoin does lead markets not all the time but when when they get very highly correlated, which they have been for six of months now, it leads mm-hmm. best I can tell without doing any crazy math or anything by about two days. So right. that, that's ups and downs. And I get hedge funds like to front run things. They like to get you know their attention span gets shorter and shorter. It's just like how many percentages can we make in this tiny window? And let's hit that number and get out and just repeat. Um, exactly. So well, you've I, answered I, your question. That's exactly why. I mean, it, it leads it leads to risk on assets, and so it gives. And remember, it's all models that they're using. Yeah, and they're seeing exactly what you're saying. Those models are picking up on it, and they're playing that. And that's going to continue to happen, Kane, and all the way up until it doesn't. Right. And when it breaks, it's going to be painful for some of those quant funds who are using it this way, who are really loaded up on those shorts. It's going to move so quickly; it's going to be painful. So that's kind of where we're headed, though, right? Because once you get a, an ETF approved, a spot ETF approved, it makes it so much easier for individual RIAs or family offices who don't want to go through all of what we just said for themselves or for the investors that they're being fiduciaries for. Uh, smaller endowments, for instance, that don't that, that they just don't have the capability, or they just—it's so much easier for them to just buy a spot ETF, and they buy that spot ETF that actually has underlying Bitcoin that as an asset that, that that ETF is tied to and is collateralized with, then at that point, you're going to get a flood of capital, right? And so that could easily just spark that price and make it and kick it from being perfectly correlated, you know, or closely correlated into something that's not really correlated. That's number one. Then number two, when you do get these really large firms, say you get three of these guys, say you get Vanguard, Fidelity, and Morgan Stanley asset management, all on board buying Bitcoin, announce they have it in their portfolios. That's going to be a huge shift. And you'll see a lot of investors start to come in. Now, you've heard Fidelity is opening up and, and allowing their investors to come. We haven't mm-hmm. heard of them really actively adding it as a as a separate asset class to their major portfolios yet but when they do that'll that'll really that'll that'll start this this wall of money that everybody talks about that'll start that and that's when this really starts to decouple from the risk on assets and become its own asset class it's going to force managers to understand it it's going to force them to do the homework to read about it to actually read the white paper and understand why it is different and why it's not crypto. It's going to be a it's, it's going to be a painful transition for some of them, but when they get it, that's when they'll jump on. And then the next thing is that, you know, 
it's not that institutions don't care about what price they pay. It's that they have this, this amount of capital. You know, they've got a hundred million dollar portfolio they need to add it to, and they want to add a 2% position. Well, that's $2 million worth that they need to add, you know, and that you just do the math on that. We do the math on that and, and, and you add up all those portfolios that add up to trillions of dollars, you're getting into tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of position that they need to add. Now, they're not going out there and saying, well, you know, it's trading at 20,600. Let's wait until it gets back to 20,500, 20,300. No, they're yeah. going to say, okay, buy a little bit here. And yep. then a little bit, little bit later in the day, okay, buy a little bit more. It's kind of like the mandate thing. They'll say, here's our band. Yeah. And here's how many weeks. Participate. Here's how many weeks we think that we can get this done. And every day we want to try to get off X. And if, if the market for whatever reasons gives us Y that day, we'll take it. Yeah. I mean, you understand all this. This is, I know you know all this, but for the benefit of your listeners, you know, and that's just, that's just the way it's going to work. To have someone in your seat with your experience to explain this is truly how it works. Um, even, you know, the the process of getting it approved um, makes total sense. It's just that when you get the CIO and, and the investment committee and legal on top of that, then all the docs have to go be changed, which yeah. that's- It a, takes forever. It yeah. takes forever. Yeah, exactly. And those aren't, those aren't things that can be understood in all the, you know, boomer memes that you just don't get it. You know, right, but, right, uh, right. Some, and some of that's true. And yeah, and they're scared to death about what just happened the, the last right. few weeks. They're scared to death that they add it and then it falls out of bed. And what's the upside for them? There's yeah. not really, no, not for, for a pension fund, there's no real upside for them to go out on the risk curve. Yeah. So we just need better understanding. And honestly, um, regulation will help because yeah. as you get regulation, it will give them comfort. It'll be defined as what, what it is as an asset. It's not going to be a security. And that'll give them definition on how, it, how is it going to be taxed, you know? Mm-hmm. And what, what, how is it seen as an asset? How is it recognized by the, by the U.S. government, by the SEC? You know, like, how are they looking at this? And once you get that definition, once you get that clarity, which we have some of, but we need all of those entities lined up and agreeing on how this is going to be treated, and then we can move forward and that that's going to give them great comfort, but that's a big deal. So. Yeah. in the tax, especially, I mean, you, you see a lot of the, well, now we can start spending our Bitcoin. Well, the way the tax rules read right now, that would be the worst thing that you could do because, you know, if you were to go spend Bitcoin in every transaction that you did this year, your accountant is going to hate you because yeah. you're going to have no idea if you put it on some DCA, most platforms now give you some sort of cost basis. But it's going to be a nightmare to say this much Bitcoin or sats went out and this much stayed here. And I don't know. I think this, here's the time. You mind, you mind this much at this hour for the, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's a, it's going to be hairy. So we need clarity and that's going to, that's a big step. So the only thing I would add uh, in there is that was one of my frustrations with the BITO launch because it's. I think 75% futures, 25% is, or sorry, it's 25% Bitcoin futures, 50% treasuries and 25% CapEx for the fund. Or, or yeah, it, yeah, it's like, I don't, not know, even, I don't know what the mix is, but the, yeah. the thing is with, with the, with that, the futures, the, the biggest thing to know there is that it, 
they're buying one to two month futures. And as they roll off, they have to put on the next, right. Um, you know, slate. And so, and it's costly. I mean, it's super it's embedded costly, drag so. on the, yeah, exactly. And, and you exactly. can see stuff like what we saw with oil. Um, yep. what was it, a year and a half ago or whatever, when the oil went negative two years ago where that yep. USO fund just collapsed overnight. No, it did come back, but there's that yep. risk. But I think that my, with that one, my biggest um, frustration with it was under the guise of investor protection. And the reality mm-hmm. is that if you're really yeah. thinking about investors, you gave institutions a tool to game investors Correct. and an illiquid asset class. That's Correct. anything but like if we really yeah. want to get down to the brass tacks of yeah. what what happens, um, you know, yeah. it's just a sticking point for me. But uh, so look, they're, they're, uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I'll say yeah. that. I don't know, but I suspect that there are some very large players in the very large banks that uh, had some words yeah. um, with Gensler and said, you know, this is, uh, we need, we need time. So, and, and that's a good lead in. Um, well, there's one point on self-custody we can come back to, but I've been reading uh, Changing Fortunes, uh, which was Paul Volcker book. Um, oh, yeah. I got it a couple of years ago, just sat on the shelf, finally got to it based on what all is going on. And um, it's real apparent just reading through that, that those conversations, like you just kind of said, probably, I mean, we don't know, but very likely that, yep. that's how it goes down. It's pretty much how the book's written, you know, 60s, 70s, saw all the stagflation, inflation going through the roof. Um, really, it was a group of guys that didn't know what was going on. And they're like, hey, we know if we pull this lever over here in the financial system, then this should happen. Well, that impacted right. some other country. And then those, their administrations that, hey, guys, we can't do this. And so ultimately, throughout 30 years, you created all these G5s, G7s, G10s, all these groups that said, we'll meet. You know, they didn't have communication tools like this. So it was right. literally people are flying on planes overnight and bouncing from one country yep. to the next and saying, okay, well, how much are you willing to, you know, devalue your currency or allow your currency to run? Can yep. we all just agree to kind of, and so you've seen this and, and it's, yeah, we've seen it and, and, you know, you see it at Davos and it's just, it, it's a, yeah, it's a, uh, <laughs> it's a super powerful small club. Yeah. And I think one of the things you asked me, uh, while we were talking about the getting on here, uh, was, you know, what, what is the, like, what's the draw for, mm-hmm somebody like me, an institutional investor to Bitcoin. And that's it. I mean, it, it fixes all the problems that, that, that fiat money creates, you know, I mean, being immutable, de- being decentralized, um, being, it can't be inflated, you know, I mean, it, the, these are things that the, the current system is built on being mm-hmm. able to manipulate the, the currency. I mean, and that's, and that is ultimately what's going to be the downfall of all sovereigns. And the problem is we can all see it. We're watching, we're seeing it in real time. And a lot of people get mad at the, at those in charge that they're, they're saying they're stealing from us that, that, you know, they're, they're gaming the system uh, against us. And they're not really doing that. They're, they're kind just, of hamstrung. They're, Kind of, but they're actually just, they're rewarded. If you talk to Jeff Booth, 
I was lucky to mm-hmm. um, to meet him uh, a, a number of months ago, and we had dinner out in Miami. Uh, and you know, he his his assertion is: look, th- this is the system that we're built on, and people are rewarded within this system, and they're going to act the way they're rewarded. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so that alone is just the driving force. It's not the people. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's not. Correct. It's the people Profit. are rewarded for ex- exactly for for the way they're acting, and Bitcoin does not reward you for acting like that. There's just no system within it to game. You can't do that, and so that to me, I I've, I have benefited. You know, I have benefited greatly from this system. Uh, I've I've had my peaks and valleys, for sure. Um, I've made a bunch. I've lost a bunch. It's just the reality of of this world. But all in all, I've had the benefit of it. But coming out of that world, that institutional world, I'm now seeing that this, this system hurts the middle class and 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 the lower class so much. It is absolutely destroying America, mm-hmm. and it's only benefiting a very small slice of people and it's just wrong and so to me i i have a i'm i'm a little bit older than most of your guests probably but i have a number of years left that i'm devoting to this to to this project to bitcoin because i want to help do something in my last 10 or 15 years of working here that i have a passion for that will actually help people rather than just feeding off of them. Like I see so many, so many institutional managers do. It's just there. Yeah, you get it. Well, I mean, to your point, I mean, you, you said it there, profit, the incentive to generate profit over uh, the people involved was exactly the book I was mentioning. They went through the part where they're going through the LATAM uh, debt crisis that basically almost blew up the world. You know, Dalio's talked about it a number of times in his, his most incorrect yep. call. Um, but they they literally, and it was the, uh, the, there's a Japanese guy that was writing along, I can't remember his name, but um, he goes through it. And his side of the analysis was that was the problem. Banks were incentivized to lend and give credit to these countries that they knew never could pay it back. And once it became obvious that there was an issue, they were like, well, we're still making good. And then the banks could not agree to drop the margin on what they would make to a point where it really should have been worthless. And they're like, yeah, but we can keep chart. And so, you know, puts us forward. Is that maybe part of the role of, of Bitcoin as a collateral asset that's getting added to a system? So maybe we finally have an asset where you're not incentivized to charge fees and high rates on. Is that some, do you see that as, Maybe well, a benefactor seeing, if we kind of step away yeah. from just dollars got to go away and decline, and this thing sort of gets us to a more positive yeah. path. It can. You, you, we're seeing the the we're seeing the problems of 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 being loosely collateralized and uh, and you know using the old world fractional banking system to lend and borrow and lend and borrow and lend. Uh, in, in an exponential way, we're seeing the collapses of of things like Celsius and and uh, and Luna from from doing those things. And so, I think um, 
there's the huge benefit of, of having Bitcoin as collateral for an individual is if you understand, if you understand who you're loaning your Bitcoin to and what you're getting for that, at some point we're going, it's going to be a very, very easy asset to lend, to lend against in that you can instantly within 10 minutes, you have whatever you want to borrow against. Mm-hmm. You can have it escrowed on chain and then you you don't need a background check you don't need a credit check you don't need i mean it's there it's uh, it's on chain the time chain you can see exactly it's immutable and it's an easy thing to lend against super easy thing to lend against so let's put it into a simple term let's say i didn't have a house and i couldn't get a bank loan for whatever reason, couldn't get one, but I know you and you know two other guys that are say, "Hey, we'll put into a multi-sig wallet. We'll put into reserves some Bitcoin, escrow it. You know, you guys pay cash or whatever. And as I pay down those interest payments, that Bitcoin comes out, and then eventually a title comes to me once it's paid off. So effectively, sure. yep. I've peer-to-peer lent, you know, we've peer-to-peer lent." to create a mortgage, to better a lifestyle for, for me in this case, or in this example, whereas. And you didn't have to, and you didn't have to take the capital gains tax or whatever on mm-hmm. your, you didn't have to, you didn't have to realize yeah. gains or losses on your Bitcoin as you put it up for collateral. Yeah. And you and you now you guys would have had to have taken on the, the work proof of work, if we want to call it that of, Sure. Analyzing whatever you wanted to know about me, about my financial statements, about my income, and that kind of stuff. Because but you, you don't, don't have to. Yeah. You, you don't, don't have, have to. to. Yeah. You don't have to, but you, you would want to know something. If you about want to, my... if you want to, if you want to for the for the mortgage, for a mortgage, yes, you would want to do that. As a mortgage lender, you absolutely would want to do it for that. However, uh, if you're just doing it for as a as a um a personal loan that you're that you're loaning. Yeah, I guess you against. guys would own the title. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so it, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely someplace that I'm excited to to see grow and uh and and in the right way. Um mm-hmm. but that that lending space for that that Bitcoin collateralized lending space is I think it's gonna be a really, really big uh it's gonna be a big deal. Uh, bigger than people realize. So. The way it is right now, does it make sense to you why anybody would? I mean, I know there's cases where it makes sense, but to borrow at nine percent, given you can they, go out, yeah, the they market. can't. They can't if they can't get a good loan. You know, yeah. if they can't get if they can't get those interest rates, it's not easy for people to get a, a you know a four or five six percent personal loan rate. That's that's pretty difficult to get, especially now. I mean, you're not going to get that now. Yeah, today you're not. So. So, um, you know, uh, that, that is, that's a major reason. Number one, number two is just the, the, the time it takes and all the paperwork and all that. If you just, if you just put up your Bitcoin for collateral and you've got your loan done, Mm -hmm. uh, you just, I, I would caution people at this point though, really, really caution people against just loaning out your Bitcoin as collateral to anything, to anybody right now. We're mm-hmm. seeing we're seeing how over uh, how under collateralized and how overextended, over levered some of these 
so-called safe institutions are. Mm -hmm. And so I would very much caution anybody about sending the Bitcoin anywhere uh, unless they absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need it. So especially some of these exchanges, I was talking to somebody yesterday who is going to get liquidated on his, uh, on his Bitcoin position because he, because he couldn't add collateral to his margin account um, in time. And so unfortunately they're going to liquidate him. Now it doesn't matter because it's just one for one. It's not, he's not going to lose any money. He wasn't, he wasn't collateralized with Bitcoin against Bitcoin. He was, he was margined and he wanted to send in. It's those things where these, the, the, the platforms are just not quite there yet for that stuff. I'm excited to see where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to some people about some solutions they have that are very interesting, but, uh, I'm excited speed, to see where they go. Yeah. The, when yeah. you need speed in crypto markets, Bitcoin markets, it's not there. Um, everything, I know that there's yeah. instantaneous settlement and, and bearer asset and all that kind of noise, but the, when you yeah. need it to move, it's, it, you get caught yeah. like that. Um, and if yeah. you've ever, yeah, it's easy. uh, I remember in 2007 vividly when everybody was getting margin calls on everything every day, going to the desk with a stack of papers, you know, and these were yeah. good clients. They weren't bad clients, but, yeah. uh, some of them have margin and that's just the, fact of what happens uh, in yep. delevering it. That was one of the things was kind of lead to another question I have for you on uh, repo and reverse repo. But one of the more interesting things I wrote an article recently about basically leverage and delevering with uh, Euro dollar futures. Um, and over the last week, the there was just this wedge that was going up. And in my mind, I was like, well, that's just the funding rate for the last 25 years. And when that broke down, like I guess yep. it was the Thursday before last, just stuff just started coming unwound. So you're yep. just seeing that delevering, and you know, market all markets will cascade because people will sell what they can, not you know, not what they want to. Um, mm-hmm. So one thing I've seen over the last couple of years, and I'm not by any means an expert on repo or reverse repo, but I feel like a lot of what I see on Twitter is in my opinion, incorrect, but I don't have any authority to say, but you wrote a yeah. good article on it recently. Is that something you could, this is important to you that you kind of look at? Uh, or? It's not, I mean, it just, for me, it just, it, just to make it super simple. I mean, when, when banks need short-term cash, they'll use the repos by, they'll just sell their treasuries overnight uh, in the window. And when they have too much cash, they use the reverse repo and, uh, put their cash to the treasury to, to get mm-hmm. treasuries, you know? Yep. And so um, for me, it's just a cash management overnight tool that I watch. And it just gives you an idea of just how much possible excess cash we have that, in the yeah. system right now. And that, and right now man, there's two, over $2 trillion that are going into the reverse repos every night. And that's, right. And so that's yeah. the reverse is basically the fed just helping take cash out to keep it just sloshing around into just pointless risk assets correct or or just bad investment yeah yeah yeah